This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and it's great because we've got an expert fermenter uh, in Gerald, Geraldine Penny. I'm She's going to tell you her name because I will screw it up. And from this moment on, I'm going to call her Geraldine. And I can claim a disability because I'm slightly dyspraxic. So don't pick on me. Um, And she's going to be talking to us about fermentation. It'll be great for those that know nothing of it. And it'll be especially fantastic for those that do know something of it because they too will learn something, as we found with Wally the Gardener. Uh, good morning, Geraldine. Good morning. Thank oh, you for having me. Oh, yeah. And before I forget, you're on Facebook. Tell me that what we search for on Facebook to find you. The Ferment Kitchen. The Ferment Kitchen, not fermented, yeah. the Ferment Kitchen. And uh, what do you do? You you take seminars, I hear. Yeah, so I teach online and in-person workshops um, I started down here in Invercargill, but I sort of go around the country now teaching in-person workshops, do lots of online stuff via Zoom, um, you know, all the basics and fermentation. So um, sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, kefir, sourdough. Yeah. And does stuff. that keep you busy? <laughs> keeps me busy because I just love it and I want to spend all my spare time creating ferments. <laughs> And does it annoy you when you say you have to go away and, and give a seminar in Auckland and leave your babies at home? Well, often I take them with me. You take your ferments with you? <laughs> yes, because I can't leave them behind. It'll be like leaving a child behind, probably. <laughs> well, don't feel bad because I often end up taking my um, sourdough with me, not the mm. just the startup, but mm-hmm. when it's rising and I feel as though I need to fold it in an hour's time. <laughs> and um, I end up having to take the kids somewhere and I throw it in the boot and stop on the way and give my bread a wee fold and a cuddle. And I'll tell you a funny thing. Uh, for a long time when I travelled with my sourdough starter, it never liked it. It was always unhappy. And I don't know how a little yeast and bacteria sitting in your car know they're being moved about, but that started knew it was being moved about mm-hmm. and um, it didn't like it. But enough of me. Tell me, how well, did you get into fermentation? Well, can I just add to your um, sourdough story? Sourdough is the best ferment to take on holiday. You know, you can just flag the bread and just make pikelets all the time. It really is yes. very adaptable. And, yeah, every time you move, it's always constantly interacting with its environment. So it's taking on new yeasts and bacteria from all the new Ah. people and things, so it has to be adapting. And they're very resilient, but it can be, you know, somewhat stressful and can take a few days to adapt. Yes, they don't die. I've never had one die on me, but I have had it be upset for a few days. Yeah, and and you've got to give it some extra love. Yeah, and I do. (laughs) I do love it. And, I love um, it too. <laughs> I haven't done the Prince Charles thing, and I don't talk to my fur, ferment. I do sauerkraut, and I do kefir. Uh, Is that um, water or milk kefir? Milk kefir. Oh, cool. Yum, 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 and yum. My, and my kids have that in a, every morning with bone broth. And I have done beet kvass, and I love that. But it's tended to be what the kids go for, and they weren't keen on the beet kvass. But it's more of a tonic. Uh, yes. Tell me, how did you get into fermentation? Well, um, when my daughter was six months old, I heard an interview. Uh, the woman was um, selling or drinking raw milk, and so then I got into Western Price, the local group in Hamilton, and went to a sauerkraut um, workshop there, and that was sort of ten years ago, and I've just been. Fermenting everything since. How interesting. Yeah. So initially I was just like the health benefits, you know. I just fell in love with all of that. And then and then it was the company, like my sourdough bug, and like I do talk to my bugs. <laughs> and they See, have helped know. me through like hard times. It's just sort of like this gentle rhythm that they bring into your life. Mm. I love the fact that I'm doing this ancient work of, you know, there's hieroglyphs in the um, Egyptian pyramids of people making sourdough. So, yes. 
So when I make sourdough, I feel deeply connected to humanity and to to the world. And I just think it's more than bread. It's really an amazing experience. I concur with that 100% because when you sit around an open fire, and Mm. particularly when you're outside and you've got a wee fire going and you've got friends, you can sit there for hours looking at the fire and just talking nonsense with your friends. And you realize that something in you stretches back thousands and thousands and Mm. thousands of years. And that that's the experience of warmth and comfort that is within us. I get the same feeling with the sea. Mm -hmm. And I feel that there's a rhythm in the sea that somehow you connect to it and you feel rested. And just like you, I have never, I have been baking and I was a terrible baker for three or so years. I've been baking for 10 years and I bake every day now and I've never considered it a chore. Mm. I love it. It's a joy. It is again a feeling that we have been making bread for thousands of years Mm that um, Caesar's army marched on sourdough, that it's what allowed for civilization. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of things, it's something that we have totally screwed up by industrializing the process mm-hmm. of making bread. And the bread that you buy in the supermarket, even the stuff that they label sourdough, is absolute shit Mm. you can't eat it you no one no one no one likes it and um it makes your gut ache and Mm. now i find i we can live on bread but my i actually haven't teased a friend of mine you'll know claire dex who does um dom's dom's lunchbox or something and you know that difficulty of making a kid's lunch my kids have gone off to preschool and school now for nine years, and every day they've had a sourdough, they have two sourdough sandwiches with butter, marmite, and cheese, <laughs> and they've never had anything else. Yeah. Isn't and that even amazing? if like, your child is transitioning away from white packet bread, they will eventually fall in love with sourdough. It just has to happen. And they have and and they'll come home from school and be hungry and cut more sourdough bread <laughs> and eat it without anything on it. Because it is so delicious and it so harkens delicious. back, you know, deep within us. It does. But again, enough of this, enough because this is my problem. I'm already in love with you about fermentation and we could talk all day and I'm trying to find out about you. Did you start, find go off to that Western A Price meeting because uh, your six-month-old baby had issues or did you just want to find out how best to feed her? Yeah, I, it was, no, just how best to feed them. It was just, oh, something deep within me knowing I wanted to feed my children, not from packets, certainly whole nutrient-dense food. Mm. And yeah, and so fermentation makes so much sense, doesn't it? It just makes mm. all of that. And and I have read Western A. Price's book, which I consider to be the only book worth reading on nutrition, because he was able to study uh, alternative all the diets, diets. That's and, right, and compare. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife traveled the world in the 30s um going and they, indeed they came to New Zealand and studied a remote mm-hmm. Maori population on the east coast mm-hmm. and they could compare uh, a Maori he was a, a research dentist he could compare a Maori who was on the coast living a traditional diet with a Maori that was living in a town eating sugar um and um, he could look at their teeth and look at their jaws and mm. tell who had had a traditional diet and who had had um, 
if you like, a commercialized art, even back in the 1930s. It's and fascinating, that, isn't it? It is, a, it is a shocking book, actually. And actually, I've heard this really great, um, this saw this great meme the other day, that we should intrinsically trust all food that's 150 years or older until yes. proven otherwise, and doubt or not eat any food that has been created within the last 150 years until yeah. it's proven safe. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's yeah. the yeah. beauty of fermentation. Like We can look at every traditional diet and see that several ferments you yes. know, were a part of the daily diet and eaten with yeah. most meals across the globe for thousands of years. So we can totally trust this practice yes. and fall yes. back into consciousness with it and bring it back into our daily lives. And also, I would suggest anything that's not being advertised. <laughs> yeah. If, if food totally. is being, if food is being advertised, you don't want to eat it. That's a really good point. I like that a lot. <laughs> and no one's out there advertising, you know, broccoli, broccoli, yeah. or 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 sourdough bread. They're advertising cornies and cornflakes and wheat bix and they managed to get iron men on the back of the box and your kids eating nutritive grain for god for goodness sake um so what is fermentation so it's controlled rotting of food really um that sounds that sounds very um (laughs) moorish (laughs) <laughs> Everyone tries to. <laughs> okay, so we rock food. And we're creating an environment where our good bacteria are going to thrive, to, you know, those communities of good bacteria are going to populate the sauerkraut, and the putrefying bacteria and molds can't take over. So we're just creating mm. this controlled environment where the right things are going to happen. Mm. And we get this probiotic product um, with all the these amazing strains and communities of good bacteria that will contribute to our good gut health and in a shelf stable product as well and that's indeed um i understand that captain cook cured scurvy because yeah. they took barrels and barrels barrels and barrels of sauerkraut of, that's right of sauerkraut and so I've got if it wasn't for fermentation we might not have been colonized no <laughs> No, we wouldn't have. It all comes down to sauerkraut. Can you believe it? <laughs> well, it's not. I think we would have been colonized, but there would have been fewer sailors making it across the world because they used to die of scurvy. Yeah, that's and, exactly. And, yeah. and sauerkraut would, would last for months and months in a barrel. Oh, Still, it will last easily up to a year, and it's high yeah. in vitamin C. So Yeah, yeah. it was just the yeah. perfect, perfect food, and perfect, he yeah. was famous. And I was always told it was fruit that he had them eating. That's nonsense. It was actually the sauerkraut. Well, he could have had apple and his sauerkraut. That's a nice combination. That is true. Now, um, tell us about, and here's another one. We go to the chemist and buy probiotics. Oh, I know. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is a real big issue that I had, is that um, health foods are really unattainable for a huge part of our population because they're so expensive. So going to buy um, probiotics for your whole whanau is probably unattainable for most New Zealanders. And same thing if you're going to go into a house store and buy a $15 jar of sauerkraut. It's like the re, um, revitalization of fermentation has made it quite unattainable. Yes. And it makes me mad, I think, because, because it's really simple to do. It's like cost-effective and it's fast. And um, so we everyone can have access to these really incredible superfoods at home. This is food for everyone. And with the probiotics, you know, there's perhaps contention around are they so easily accessible for our bodies to, you know, are those probiotics absorbed? Do they do the right job because it's sort of a foreign thing? But when we actually have a jar of sauerkraut, um, it really works with our bodies so easily and we get all the goodness. Western A. Price, Western A. Price found that, I think it was 30-something primitive diets that he studied because this was in the 30s and there were still isolated communities, even in the United States, Indians living in um, Florida in the, in, the, in the swamp areas where they had retreated to and people high in the Swiss Alps who maintained a diet that they'd had for hundreds of years. He found them all remarkably healthy and he mm. 
drew and they had widely varied diets, but every one of them had fermented food. That's right. And Sandal Katz, who's like this guru, yes. of, you know, has really brought a fermentation back to us. Um, you know, they said that the Aborigines in Australia, didn't they were the one group of people who didn't have fermented foods and he went there or his friend did, something like this, and they said, tell us about your diet and then the first thing that they mentioned was a soaked fermented grain. Like, everyone did it. <laughs> everyone. And, of yeah. course, it was without a refrigerator and without a supermarket. You had to keep food. Yeah. And so you'd control the rot. And tell us... Tell us about the biome of your gut because this is something that nutritionists a few years ago knew nothing of. Mm. Doctors still don't know anything of. Mm. And the nutritional advice that we're running on is totally ignorant of the importance of this biome. Tell me about that. Oh, I can't speak to that in much depth because I haven't done a lot of research. I'm sort of more eating fermented foods and making them because mm. I love it and it feels good. Um, mm. But certainly is an area that the more we learn, the more we go, oh, my goodness, now we need to go back to things like fermented foods. And to maintain a healthy gut. Bacteria. Yeah. I can tell you this fascinating thing that, you know, when we make a jar of sauerkraut, there's like different waves of fermentation that happens and different strains of bacteria and communities of bacteria come and go. And so it's like a bell curve. And as the um, sauerkraut ferments, different yeah, these different waves come and go. So if you were going to ferment your sauerkraut in autumn and then eat it throughout the year, like our ancestors would have done, each time you're eating it, maybe at two weeks, two months, and eight months, you're going to be um, exposing your body to different bacteria strains. Goodness me. I, I know. know that. Unbelievable. <laughs> and, of course, when people think about this controlled rotten process and turn their nose up at it, some of the most expensive foods we consider a delicacy, like French cheese, for example, oh, yeah. are fermented, right? Yeah. Oh, we can't dwell on the rot comment too long because it does, okay. it's not fair for fermented foods. <laughs> we just, you have See, to taste it. you started it. me now. You, know, when you started me. You got me talking about controlled rot. <laughs> now, tell me, uh, by the way, you were an adult, clearly a young mum, when you started fermenting food and eating fermenting food, and I suspect changing your diet, having gone along to Western A Price, did your diet change in other ways as well after that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think once you start on a single ferment, and I see this with people who come into my classes, it sets you on a path. Yes. You think, what else? And you catch the bug and you want to ferment other things. And then you start considering, oh, what's the salt water that I'm using? And, okay, so maybe I shouldn't be using this water from my tap or kombucha. If it's not yes. good for the kombucha, perhaps it's not good for me. Yes. And you kind of start gently questioning your world and I think making much better change choices. Mm, becoming... So as a, as a young mother coming out of childbirth with a six-month-old baby and all all the uh, – upset to your routine and rhythm, um, <laughs> did you find that eating that fermented food and eating cleaner and better improved you? Absolutely. Yep. Like, what ways? So I used to, look, I used to have eczema and I don't anymore. And I just sort of realised at some point, oh, I don't get it anymore. I don't know how how many years it sort of took or what, what happened there, but it just faded out. And um, uh, I was always in pretty good health, so I don't have like this incredible health story. But, you know, my children are all really vibrant, healthy, mm. active children. They, they, I mean, I want to say they haven't been to doctors and things, that, but I'm not like saying that doc, they, you shouldn't take your kids to the doctor, but it's just like the doctor rang me and said, do you still have your son? Like we have never met him. I'm like, oh, no, he's still here. Yep, he's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just so, they're healthy children. And um, and yeah. I find that when we get sick, we, we recover, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
Well, my experiences, um, my wife was an athlete, a professional athlete, and she overdid it like a lot of athletes do and ended up with severe chronic fatigue. Mm. So she had this peculiar situation whereby she was extremely fit but couldn't climb the stairs. <laughs> yeah. Right? And in hindsight, how terrible is this? Because they were professional athletes, they were allocated a nutritionist, right? So it was low fat, um, um, fruit and a bit of yogurt was only the decent food. It was terrible. You could only have two eggs a week. It was the most dreadful, depleting diet you could ever imagine. And because they were traveling, they would get oftentimes, um, what's it when you get food poisoning? Mm. And that would clean them out. And when we started eating fermented food, she improved out of sight. It was mm. abs, she's never had chronic fatigue since. And I immediately noticed that I became, I'm always a reasonably calm person, but I became a lot calmer. You know, my mood settled down. That was Mm -hmm. what I noticed because I think I was depleted of some particular nutrient that I was in need of and it was making me a bit edgy. I always felt a bit edgy. I slept better just through eating jolly sauerkraut and, and warm milk and kefir. Mm-hmm. It's the most astonishing story. And like yes. it's not magic overnight, but it's not. Over, over a few weeks, you just mm-hmm. look back and you think, hell, I feel so much better than That's I That's right. And I've heard countless stories like this. Like mm. arthritis is clearing up when there's a bit of um, pineapple added to the kombucha and um, people can eat grains again and all this sort of thing. It just balances you out and it gives mm. us this aspect yeah, that must really be so nurturing for our bodies and nourishing. And, and our three kids have grown up on uh, bone broth and raw milk and um, fermented food. Uh, we can't, we don't go hardcore on sugar and sweets because they go to parties and the sugar is just everywhere. The school teachers give them the lollies as a reward and you can't mm. be sitting there with the parents saying you, you should never touch sugar these sweets but when they have go to a birthday party they're unmanageable <laughs> even at 10 years old because they're not used to the sugar do you find that with your kids oh it's hilarious yeah watching my kids i just yeah i've been a, i was in a dilemma like about this kind of situation as a young mom like i want them to be sugar free but you know i want them to live in the world and have friends yes, <laughs> yes. and, 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 and you <laughs> don't want to be that mother that when they're 50, they say, oh, yeah, mum was quite good, but boy, oh, boy, you know, if I got, I got, I, if I was seen with a sweet, you know, <laughs> oh, my God. I have taught my kids that they're toxic, that sugar. Oh, yeah, toxic. we're told the truth. I used to yeah. feed the kids up on, like, potatoes before I'd send them to a party. <laughs> <laughs> But it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? No, no. But you do relax into it, and they relax into it as well. And, of course, you see their mates who are so used to loading up on sugar, it doesn't affect them. Mm, My kids kids, uh, go to a party, and for the next 24 hours, they're unmanageable, and it, it literally takes three or four days to sort of get them. and the other thing we notice if they go to a party and have a lot of sugar they're like crack addicts i know but the next day they're <laughs> wanting sugar right oh i, I want know. this i want that and they're searching through the cupboards looking for sugar yeah. we've got dates guys we've got dates <laughs> yeah it is it's crack it's crack anyway what do you ferment what can you ferment Mm, well, I'm working on a gluten-free sourdough at the moment. That's my um, one of my latest. I <clears throat> um, oh, what else have I done this week? I've been I'm turning all my marrows into a kimchi paste, and I've been putting Fijiwa skins into them and pears, and that is absolutely delicious. Okay, tell us about 
uh, kimchi. What's kimchi? So kimchi is a Korean ferment. And <clears throat> so you've got sort of these flavor elements that just play together just so beautifully. So you've got some sort of cabbage you know, the Chinese Napa cabbage is, or tetsui, bok choy, this kind of thing. Then you've got ginger and garlic, um, radish or turnip, something sharp, daikon in there, um, something maybe a bit sweet, like a pear, an ashy pear or an apple. Um, and then you've got chilli. Um, and that could be just plain chilli, gochujaru, which is the Korean chilli, um, which is red, red pepper, um, or gochujang, which is like this fermented chilli paste. And then to bring it all together, you can do that in several different ways, literally just mixing it or making like a paste and then spreading the paste over the leaves and fermenting that. Um, but it's it's sensational. <laughs> so just walk me through. I'm sitting at home listening to this, and I've okay. a, I've been to a Japanese restaurant or a Korean restaurant, and I've tried kimchi. And I think, oh, I'd like to have some of right. that. How do I? What do I do to make it? Okay, so my favorite way to make it at the moment is to make this mother sauce. And so into my food processor, I'll put some um, garlic, ginger chili flakes or chili powder, anything hot that you've got, um, and a brown onion or a red onion, um, and maybe an apple. That's There's a hundred things I could say right now, but that's five, right? Put that in and blitz that up with um, four – Every sort of cabbage amount that you're going to use, about four teaspoons of salt is about three. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good 3% salt ratio. So maybe and chuck what in. What salt would you use? Does that matter? Well, it doesn't matter. Use what you've got at home as the best salt because okay. you're doing it. But um, What were those proportions again, Geraldine? So ideally with our vegetable ferments, it's 3% salt, right? And yep. people weigh everything out, but you don't need to. I sort of um, – your standard cabbage – when you ferment it, will take four teaspoons of salt. Got so it. I eyeball my kimchi ingredients and go, how many cabbages have I got here? About one, put in four teaspoons of salt into the food processor. Yep. And you might put in three and add the fourth because it's always easier to add than take out. And so they blitz that up, make a nice sauce, and then I'm going to cut up my napa cabbage into really nice big chunks. And that sauce is like liquefied. Oh, it's nice and thick and sort of pasty. What yeah. you're going to do is basically smear it over it. all the greens and Got the matchstick carrots and the chopped up radish, Yeah, uh, anything else that you'd like to add in there. Remembering that fermentation is so adaptable that if you had, you know, two things, if you had chili and ginger, you could add that to carrot. Like yeah. you don't have to have all the ingredients, but say yeah. you've got some carrots and some radish there and some cabbage, you're just going to smear that mother sauce all over those and then fill a jar. Got and it. the two really key principles for our vegetable fermenting, now that's brine pickles, sauerkraut, kimchi, chutneys, anything with vegetable ferments, is always to fill your jars to the top. Um, so if you've just got a small amount, you can't put it in a big jar, you have to find a jar that fits the volume that you've got. And then um, then the other element is just to note that when we get those acidic flavours, like the sour and the tart and the tangy, then our ferment is shelf-stable because it's hit that point where it's so acidic that the mould and the putrefying bacteria can't take hold. And before that point, we really want to look after it. We want to keep it at low temperatures. Um, we don't want to be going into it all the time in case we're introducing mould every time we check it. Um, if it so dries it's out... It's in an airtight jar? Oh, yeah, you're just filling the jar to the top for the kimchi. And it's yep. got... And so... Does the jar have to be airtight? Um, like you just can use your standard lid. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. does the do you want the liquid? Is it liquid? Oh, like to the touching top? the lid? No, you don't no. want the liquid. No. No. Do you want? Um, what happens if I have a leaf sticking up? Is that a problem? If it's out of that slurry, or is that okay? yeah? It's not ideal if you're doing something like um, sauerkraut because that's just all brine pickles. That's really going to introduce the mould. So you want them under the liquid? You do yeah. want everything submerged under the liquid. Yeah. When we make a kimchi, though, it's typically so thick yes. that you can't submerge it under anything. So you fill yeah. the jar to as much as um, you know as much as you can, but not quite touching the lid because okay. it will corrode the lid. And then. Um, you know, it's got a good amount of salt in it, and chili also um, keeps the mould at bay. 
Okay. And then you just keep an eye on it and you might pop it in the fridge after. Oh, you wouldn't even need to. But you fill it right to the top and it's got that nice amount of chilli and salt. So your kimchi is going to be fine. So I put it I put it somewhere. Do I put it in the dark, in the sun, in the yep. warm, in the cold? Where do I put it? So I always use a bottom cupboard in my kitchen and you're wanting a temperature around 15 to 18 degrees. Okay. Um, so that's cold, right? It's quite cold. It's pretty cold and it's dark. Um, yeah. And I guess you're mimicking, you know, like a root salad kind of thing. Yes. And the most common reason for your ferment to be thrown off is because of high temperatures or fluctuating temperatures. And so when all of our cabbages sort of come into season in the garden in summer and we make all the sauerkraut, that's actually one of the hardest times to really manage the environment. So that's, mm. yeah. So it's just to keep it at those nice, really cool temperatures. You're going to get great sauerkraut, kimchi. And where do the bugs come from? They're on the cabbage or the carrot? Mm-hmm. Where are they, where, where, you're excluding the bad bugs. The lactic acid, the lactic the, bacteria, they're um, all over the place, but really prolific on our, on our veggies. Yep. And so we're creating, they don't mind um, acid and they don't mind salt. So they will proliferate in this beautiful environment. And that hence the controlled, for want mm-hmm. of a better word, rot. Yeah. <laughs> and the cabbage, like when you eat kimchi, it's softened mm-hmm. and becomes easily digested mm-hmm. as compared to, say, a raw cabbage. That's right. Yeah. So all of our fermented food is pre-digested. Yes. So really gentle on our digestive systems. Yes. And then okay. all the goodies within the vegetables are bioavailable to us. So because of the fermentation process, the nutrient value actually increases, but then we can actually better access those nutrients as well. Yes. And that's so, the key thing. It's it's not what goes into your mouth. It, it what transfers from your gut to your bloodstream. That's it. And yeah. And so, the thing, mm. as I understand it, is what you're doing here is – you're not only getting that those nutrients, they're readily available in your gut for your body. Yeah, uh, the nutrients readily available. Yep, I suppose so. This is the bit where I sort of like, oh. don't worry. <laughs> I just make it. I just made it up. Um, well, we're on radio. We can say what we like. We're yeah, yeah, the experts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how Radio New Zealand do it. Um, <laughs> so, how long does it take? before it's ready? Well, with kimchi, traditionally when it's made, um, a portion is often kept aside and eaten fresh because it's just so beautiful fresh. But with um, most of our vegetable ferments, from day three, some sort of fermenting action has started. But even though it will be probiotic to a point, it's actually largely still going to taste like salty cabbage or chilli on carrots whatever and then really anywhere from day three up to about a year we can eat our ferments if they've been kept in those beautiful cool conditions of 15 mm. to 18 degrees mm. yeah and you when you've come to eat it say in two months time mm-hmm. can you open the lid dip your spoon in grab some kimchi and shut the lid and carry on <clears throat> yes, yes and no. Um, <laughs> like, if you're just eating from a jar, just chuck the jar in the fridge. Okay. Um, it's not going to go mouldy, um, but it is best practice just to eat from the fridge at that point. Why? Um, because the more air we introduce into our ferment, so if you've eaten half a jar of sauerkraut and half a jar sitting in the fridge or half a jar sitting there, um, then you're going to get a calm yeast on top. And that's K-A-H-M, calm. And it's absolutely fine to eat it. And so it doesn't turn your sauerkraut bad, but it does give it a musty flavour and it doesn't look visually appealing. But in the fridge, it's far less likely to develop this calm so yeast. So once you start on it, put it in the fridge. Yeah. Other ones can stay on the shelf. They can. And but then, in saying that, if you've got a big 10, five-litre crock of sauerkraut, come along, fill up your jars. And I've seen um, people leave their big crocks in like a cool part of the house that gets no direct sunlight and it sits there all winter and they just fill up a jar and put it into it. the fridge and eat it from got there. It. So that's another, got it. another option. So when you're talking about these different ferments, what is the difference between what you just described, kimchi, and sauerkraut? Well, so you're adding... You, they're, the, they're the same bacteria, 
that the lactic mm-hmm. acid bacteria, but um, you're going to get different benefits from the different vegetables as they ferment. So the so properties the only, of those vegetables. The only difference is the vegetables that you're putting in. Mm-hmm. So yep. if I was to make sauerkraut, I'd use cabbage. I'd take my head of cabbage. What would I? What would I do with it to make a sauerkraut? So for sauerkraut, we're going to slice the cabbage in any way that we'd like to eat it. And I have actually also fermented whole cabbages in a brine, which was pretty amazing. Um, but slice it how you think you'd like to eat it. Like I say, said before, a roughly 3% salt solution is about four, tables, four, teaspoons, four teaspoons of salt per cabbage. And so you're going to sprinkle the salt over the cabbage and then you want to break the cell walls and let out all the beautiful liquid inside. So you're going to massage punch, um, smash it with a wooden, you know, thing, your masher, whatever, or leave it to sit overnight and all the liquid will be drawn out from the salt. You And so you want your cabbage to get to a point where you can pick it up, squeeze it, and it's just dripping with liquid. And then you're going to stuff it into a jar, really stuff it in to um, get out as much air as you can. And remembering that we always fill our jars to the top for all our vegetable ferments. And then... <clears throat> You could just fill it to the top and lid it like you did with the kimchi. Um, and it, um, But another sort of safer option is to weight all that cabbage down. So cover the cabbage with a big cabbage leaf and then put a weight on it. So you could buy a glass weight, but I just typically use um, a big thick stick of carrot and wedge it in under the shoulders of the jar. And when I'm looking down at the jar... Um, when I've finished my sauerkraut, really what I want to be seeing is just liquid with nothing poking up, like you mentioned before. So, okay. Yeah. And uh, could you add water if there wasn't enough liquid in it? Yeah, but you, so you want to be adding a salt brine if you're going to okay. be topping up because, you know, if you um, if you do have an old cabbage and it, you're not getting any liquid out of it, you could top it up with a salt brine of like one tablespoon of salt to a litre of water well, the other thing you can do is add in a whole heap of um, vegetables that have got a heap of water in them. So add in some grated carrots, some grated um, apple, some onion, and then get the moisture from those vegetables. Yeah, I okay. used this really old cabbage the other day to make a sauerkraut. <laughs> it was all good because mm. I added heaps of extra stuff and they brought mm. all the flavour as well. Mm. And where do you get your vegetables from to make um, your ferments? So a combination of places, grow some veggies. I actually um, buy quite a bit of produce at the moment off Marketplace because I'm. Mm-hmm. there's lots of little gardeners around selling off the excess. Uh, and we've got um, some a local market garden that I get a box from and, yeah, sometimes you, the supermarket. Could you make it from the supermarket cabbage? It's going to be better for you than eating the supermarket cabbage unfermented. For sure. Yes. So what, I, what like, I guess what I'm exploring here is um, we understand the problems of commercial growing on a large scale, but you can still ferment it. It doesn't rule yep. it out. You know, the ferment. Oh, yes, you can still ferment it. It's still yes. got enough um, bacteria on it to kickstart a fermentation. Yeah. And it's, it, it will be better for you because it's probiotic, but also I think it, it does actually reduce the level of pesticides or something happens in there yes. that doesn't, it's not so bad for you as well in that, that in that aspect. Yeah. So we've got the difference with the kimchi and the sauerkraut. It's it's the different uh, vegetables. Mm-hmm. And also you haven't done that paste thing and the hot thing. Yeah. Um, by the way, do your kids eat? Does They must be Oh, Do they eat the hot stuff? Oh, my, my son used to when he was like four and now he doesn't touch at his age. It's not um, funny, kids. I know, but I actually, I make the kimchi, I make it for me because, and, and so I make hot. it, I like it really hot. Mm. And if they eat it, they eat it. And, but I usually know I'm just making it for me and I just go all out. But it doesn't have to be very hot. You can have no. very mild kimchi. Yeah, you can make yeah. it taste. So do you keep some of the liquid back? And use it in your next ferment, or do you? You just can absolutely do that. Is that a? Um, is that oh, a parcel? It's not needed, or it's not really needed. I typically don't kickstart any of my vegetable ferments with with whey or you know already fermented liquid. But I you don't can. use. I mean, I tried whey once, and it 
but this was slimy. I didn't like it. Yeah, well, you don't need to add much weight in. The thing is, if you if you're in a really cold spot over winter, that's when it's really nice to kickstart a ferment to get it okay. going. So add in okay. a tablespoon of whey or some previous okay. liquid, that kind of thing. So we've got kimchi, we've got sauerkraut. Yep. What else can we ferment? How how other ways can you ferment your vegetables? Is there so my else? other favourite way is brine pickles, and this is the re- this is the simplest vegetable ferment, and so we just. Um, chopping up any vegetables we like into any size we like and filling a jar with them. We can add in spices and herbs, garlic, onions, and and then covering it with brine, which is salty water, and we use a ratio of about one tablespoon of salt to one litre of water. It's so always to 3%. Fill the jar to the top, and then you want to submerge it in the same way as the cabbage. So you're going to wrap like a big leaf over the top and then weight it down so that nothing's poking up over that liquid, and it's done. And so that I'm, would be like your gherkins. That you this eat. is like the traditional gherkin thing, eh? So, so gherkin I, is a fermented little cucumber. Well, now they're, um, they're not fermented anymore. They're pickled with vinegar and things. Mm. Oh, you so lost me. So when we ferment something, we're just adding the salt brine for a brine pickle. But the, the gherkins that we buy in the supermarket have got the vinegar and it's all been cooked and pasteurized. And Oh, it's, it's, a, it's not good. It's not the real thing. It's a dead food. Yeah. <laughs> it's tasty. <laughs> I it's buy dead. gherkins, but I know it, I'm not eating a probiotic food when I get, eat them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's the problem, right? Because under the health regulations, it can't have a living bug in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are companies around that are making raw ferments and and selling them, it's just way harder to manage on a big level. And that's why ferments are so suited to home, home batch, you know, making. Yeah. So, but you would, you, if you made your own gherkins, right. Yeah. You wouldn't use vinegar or anything, right. No, I haven't done gherkins because I've never grown them. But if you put in some dill and some garlic and peppercorns in a brine pickle, they would be delicious. Yeah. Yeah. And so once you get the hang of, sauerkraut and kimchi the world is your vegetable oh, because yep. you can just make anything you can ferment anything and it's so exciting and you just want to pull it out every time you have a meal you pull out a ferment to go with it and you know you just make that a part of your routine when you're eating and you eat it as a condiment a so, small amount of sauerkraut with everything or okay let's imagine that you've got a bit of time and it's saturday night and you think, okay, I'm going to cook something for the family um, and I'm going to enjoy cooking and I'm not rushed and get the kids' homework and all that. So tell me what you'd cook and how you'd use the ferment. Oh, I'm a pretty basic cook. Um, basic is good. I'm just trying to get the feel for how you do, how you, how you incorporate the ferment into your daily meal. Yeah, so I really literally pull out just a jar of something. I'll probably have three or four jars on the go, like a brine pickle, a kimchi, and a sauerkraut in the fridge or a chutney in the fridge, and I'll pull out one of them with every meal. So say we're having a soup, um, like a bone broth soup, and we've got some noodles or something in there, okay, then I might pull out some fermented broccoli to put into that. And I'm not going to cook it in the soup, so I'm not cooking out the, um, the live bacteria, but we'll just add it in as one of the toppings. Um, And what, say, you were having... A lamb chop, some Southland potatoes, and yeah. some frozen peas. Would that so? Then ha- what would sitting beside then? the peas, I've got the sauerkraut. It just it's just the next veggie around the plate. And how much sauerkraut would you put on your plate or your child's plate? Oh, a handful, half a handful. Yeah. Mm. And even for the kids, I know that if the sauerkraut doesn't really work with the meal, sometimes I'll just be like, okay, the sauerkraut's there. You've got to have a mouthful of it at some point (laughs) before Mm. or after. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now, you mentioned chutney. What's that? Oh, so um, we are just blitzing up some vegetables and fruit. So my favourite at the moment is beetroot and apple chutney. So you're just blitzing up. uh, What's blitzing mean? Uh, put it in your food processor, two or three um, beetroot, two or three apples and an onion, um, a teaspoon of salt, um, a bit of fresh ginger, and then whiz it all up to a nice consistency that you'd like to eat, quite fine, and then add some whey, about okay. a quarter of a cup of whey. Now, if you don't, to get whey, you're just going to strain off some yogurt. 
So get a bowl, put a sieve in it, line the sieve with a couple of layers of uh, a tea towel, and then pour your yogurt in. And very quickly, you'll start to see the whey dripping off into the bowl. And that whey is full of all the good bacteria from the yogurt and high in protein, all sorts of things. You can just drink it as it is. You can keep it in the fridge for months. You can add it to baking, all sorts. But you could also add it to something like a fermented chutney and it will ferment it really fast. So you're going to whiz up the beetroot and the apple, add some whey, fill a jar to the top, and then in three days on the bench, that will be fermented. It'll be spilling over, which is a really good sign of fermentation, and it will last for up to a month. It's just beautiful. You can do carrot and apple, carrot and beetroot. I can see why you get excited, because <laughs> I realise I have been a boring old fermenter. I know, you've got to get <laughs> I am. It's all right, I, you'll get there. <laughs> I, I have lacked imagination because cabbage, beetroot, <laughs> that's me, right? And but this is are. completely fine. You just do what you enjoy. And if oh, you enjoy yeah, playing in the I, kitchen, then you play. And, like, I didn't even know chutney. I, I've never, I don't I suppose I've had chutney. I just didn't know it was a thing. So how would I use chutney? Oh, well, on anything, on eggs, in a, you know, on a cheese platter, um, mm. in a sandwich, just, um, it's a beautiful condiment and it's really sharp, intense flavours. Now, if you go onto my ferment, the Ferment Kitchen on my Facebook and have a look under the videos, I've got, um, I do a demonstration of ginger and rhubarb chutney, which is absolutely stunning with a strong cheese on a cracker. Yeah. <laughs> and of course... What is it that you buy, really, when you go into the supermarket and buy their chutney? Oh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a shelf-stable product, so it's got that advantage. Got yeah, but it's got <laughs> shit in it to make it stable. Well, I mean, you can't eat a lot of food from the supermarket if you don't want to eat shit. <laughs> no, well, it's that great saying, right? If it doesn't rot, you don't eat it. <laughs> and um, if it doesn't spoil in a couple of days, you don't eat it. And the great thing about sauerkraut is that it's a controlled spoil. That's it. It's a controlled rot. And, you know, the other thing is, like, keep it all in perspective. Like, sometimes we'll have fish and chips for dinner with a bit of sauerkraut on the side, and I'm mm. happy with that. It's like mm. my mental health is fine. Mm. <laughs> We're all going to get to bed on time. And you just, mm. you know... No, I agree. And in yeah. fact, you can, with a bit of sauerkraut, the most basic meal can have a bit of tank to it. That's it. And I just and feel like gonna, every time I feel good about serving that to the kids. I'm going to get out of here and make make some chutney. <laughs> um, I didn't take notes when I was listening to you because it was so wonderful. Uh, how do I get a chutney recipe? Well, like I say, have a look at the videos. Okay. On on the ferment kitchen, and I'm I'm doing a demonstration there of this ginger and rhubarb chutney, and all the chutneys follow the same principle. So you can mix and match any fruits mm. and vegetables, and well, add some, some whey, add some salt. I've got some homegrown rhubarb in my fridge that I was given, and it is sat there unloved because I don't like it boiled. Yeah, well, and, you use it raw in this recipe. Yeah, well, this is starting to appeal to me. Yeah. So, because I'm looking at that rhubarb, and of course, I think I'm right in this. You know, your your vegetables can be a bit past their used by date, but they can still make beautiful ferment, right? Is that yeah? True? Well, as long as they're not sort of rotting. Oh but, no, so, no, no. But you know, like because <laughs> you can. Hit, but yes, absolutely. You know, you get I think a bit of a limp, a bit of limp rhubarb would still make a nice ferment. Oh, absolutely. Put some salt in there, a bit of, a bit of honey, and it's gonna, going to be fine. Like I said, I've made... My mouth is watering just hearing <laughs> you talk. That rhubarb's going to get a... That rhubarb's going to get... Going to get well, it's got crystallised ginger in it and, and fresh ginger. It's just oh, beautiful. Gosh. It's just a punch in the mouth. Amazing. Oh, gosh. Mm. My kids don't know what's, what they're in store for because... Well, hopefully they don't like it and you get to eat it all. That's, well, that's what happens with my kimchi. I feel as though... I feel as though I've been let, I've dropped the ball because um, I sort of I get enthusiasms and then it wanes, you know. It's okay. 
all but in I'm the getting, time. I'm getting enthused again because I was just following a bog standard fermentation. I've never done that with sourdough. So I've been baking for um, 10 years and I literally have baked every day uh, a couple of loaves because I find it easier just to bake than think about whether I should or need it. And if I get too much, I just give it away. Mm. People are very grateful for it. And it's just easier just to get into that. This is the thing, isn't it? Because you're dealing with a living thing, a starter, uh, you have you need to get into a rhythm. Yeah. And you make and sure. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I have ladies come and I teach them how to bake and um, oh, and then they get busy and they don't bake for a couple of weeks and they think, oh, I'll make some sourdough. And you can't explain to them that this is a living thing mm. and you're not just grabbing yeast out of a box and mm. sprinkling it in. And so the way to manage it is a rhythm. You might yep. only bake once a week, but mm -hmm. it's that regular rhythm that you get into yep. the cycle for your healthy starter. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing too with your vegetable ferments, you're getting into a rhythm mm -hmm. with the growing cycle and nature. So, oh, there are a lot of cabbages. I'll get a whole lot of cheap cabbages. I'll mm -hmm. make a whole lot of sauerkraut, and that will last me through the year. That's right. This is one of the most beautiful things about fermentation is that it brings us into the slow and gentle rhythm. So mm. with your sourdough, you know, you've got to feed it. I know there was someone who said to me in, during lockdown and they were despondent this day and they didn't want to get out of bed, but they knew they had to feed their bug because it was time because they were baking that evening. Da, 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 da. And so it's like this gentle encouragement and mm. it's so good for our mental health and it also brings us into back in tune with the seasons because, yeah, I made a jar of kimchi for um, a workshop last year in the wrong time of the year, and it cost me $25 to make yes. the jar of kimchi. And it was like, yes. why would you ever do that? But you, yes. if you're in tune with, like you say, when the cabbages are ready in the garden or when they're cheap in the supermarket. And so it brings a really nice flow and consciousness to your living. Mm. Mm. I, I've got, I've told Paul Brennan on the breakfast show that he has to interview me about sourdough bread um, <laughs> because I can't interview myself. And I'm a passionate baker. And um, the story there was when my I was into Western A Price and I looked at baking bread and I it was I was intimidated. And I thought, I think I had a crack at it, and it was a just came out of brick that was inedible. And we discovered that my little girl would have gluten, we thought. And she was literally three or four or five months old, and she'd almost go comatose. Mm. She'd go into this drowsy state. It took us it took us three months to figure it out. In that three months, she never put on weight, and she would just she was you know three four just well no, I've got to be careful because I'm not a mother, and when I get like a three month old baby is like a nine month old baby to me. And there'll be mothers listening, wondering what I'm talking about. But it's when you put them on a bit of solid, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, Probably not maybe, three months, but it's no, all good. <laughs> maybe she was a year. I don't know. But she was, to me, like, it was before a man really gets interested in them, right? Oh, my gosh. At yeah. At that stage. <laughs> that you pretend you sort of are, but you're looking at the baby and you're thinking, I don't know about how you do all this. So. My wife was busy with babies and she knows the times and the dates of what things happened. But when she started eating solids, she would go into this fugue-like state. Mm -hmm. And um, over time, because we'd got a way of nutrition, we tracked it down to gluten. Mm -hmm. And as she got older, when she was two, like if even she had a taste of ice cream cone, she would curl up and not move for 24 hours and be sick. Not vomiting, but sick on the couch, not able yeah. to move. So poco, yeah. Yeah, so we started to buy um, non-gluten bread, which is worse than the shit that you get from the supermarket. The non-gluten bread is inedible to me. And because she was eating it, we sort of all had to eat it, and you, you know, because it's sort of trying to encourage her and all the rest of it, because she wasn't putting on weight. 
And um, then I read in the Western A Prize stuff that it's not really the gluten necessarily. They're not, and we tested her; she wasn't celiac. It's the proteins not being digested. So um, I struggled away, and like I said, I I should have got someone to teach me because I just did it on YouTube through trial and error, and I made so many mistakes until I mm. got it right. But mm -hmm. she can she could eat fermented bread and digest it yep. because it was properly done. Mm. Slow, slow, slow fermentation, slow rise. Not yep. And as you know, I saw on your Facebook, no kneading, mm -hmm. just um, mix and then uh, uh, what do you call it, fold? I, I don't even know. fold. No, really, it doesn't <laughs> need it. And um, I fold it because I find I just get a bit of a better loaf, but it's mm -hmm. a personal thing. And if I'm in a hurry, I don't fold. Mm -hmm. um, and she she could eat half a loaf of that bread in a day be and be at never. And now, funnily enough, she can actually take ice cream cones. Um, she can take um, industrialized bread, which if you know how they make it, you wouldn't go near it. If you knew what they put in it, you wouldn't go near it. It's the most disgusting process to what bread should be. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge sadness when you realize what they've done to bread, which is a staple food, and that we buy it because we think it's cheap. And no one likes bread now. Kids don't like bread now. Adults don't eat bread. And when you get a, a, a well-made sourdough, you can't – It's I'd rather have a, a slice of bread than any other meal I know now. Mm. And I never ate bread for decades. Mm. So this fermentation yeah. is a big thing. You and I uh, might have to do some more if you're available, Jill. We could do a sourdough session. <laughs> well, you and I might get into a – the danger of that is um, <laughs> we would be a bit – what's that word – I'm not I think no say one's that. listening, but we're still talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's long left the room. <laughs> and we're going into the nth degree down, sort of like a down. It's like when you, when I meet another conspiracy theorist and you see who can go further down the rabbit hole. Yeah. When you meet a when you meet a sourdough baker, it's oh well, I did this. No yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> and um, everyone's saying, God, won't they, don't they? What is going on with these people? Um, but it's to return to the beginning, it's a very beautiful thing to do um, as a process mm -hmm. and to understand the process. And, of course, it's wonderful because we can look at your videos and gain your knowledge mm -hmm. and your insight. And it's so good for your own health and your family's health. And uh, it connects you. I've got a question. Mm -hmm. Where do you get your jars from? <gasps> I'm a jar fiend. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're so bloody expensive. Oh, I, yeah, I very rarely buy them. Like, I, that's probably one reason why I still buy gherkins is so I have the gherkin jars. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm always trawling marketplace and the op shops, see if I can find a bargain. Um, so if, if you get a jar from an op shop, right, and you get an old AG jar like mum had, um, how do you clean it ready for your... Kimchi, just give it a wash. Just, just warm water. We don't need to sterilize for fermentation, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So just warm, warm soapy water. Yep. Abs yeah. Is, yep. I can remember I'm an old guy and I can remember my nana's house and my mother's house when I was very young. And they would have shelves and shelves and shelves of preserved vegetables and fruit mm. in these AG jars mm. that they would seal with some machine and they'd be boiling water and making it and I think canning, sugar yeah. and can canning it, but in a glass jar. Mm -hmm. Is that fermenting? No. So the canning, like boiling the contents of the glass jar in the water and the warm bath thing, water bathing and um, the vinegar, that aren't, 
They aren't ferments and they are dead food, but I do do some preserving. There's definitely merits in it and, Mm. um, yeah, sort of do a little bit of everything. But just know that when you're eating that food, like you've created something that's really shelf-stable, you're using the harvest, the produce Mm. at the right time of the year and all that kind of thing, but when you add it to your meal, you're not adding something fermented, so you still want to be adding in probiotics. But it just looks so warm oh, and wonderful as a wee yes. boy to stare up at these rows and rows and rows of bottles. Oh, of, so satisfying. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and peaches and my mouth would be watering and yeah. for dessert. And well, do you do that? Do you? Yeah, I do. I do. Cause I've got like a horde of apples at the moment and I've done some um, fermenting with apples, but there's only so much. Um, so I preserved mm. some apples and I've um, done some lemon curd with marrow last night. That was a good one. Like I'm just playing and um, yeah, and I've got, so I've got some preserves and I've got my ferments and I feel so secure. I feel reassurance when I look at this yes. food sitting there and I feel really empowered. And you know, you're not sitting there and saying, oh, uh, I can't get to the supermarket because we're locked down because yep. you've got a room full of food. Yeah, that's right. So we're wanting to have sort of like that those physical things there, our food storage, and then some good skills as well, eh, to go with it. Yeah, yeah, and also you could uh, occupy yourself because I find even with the bread, if I'm stuck somewhere, um, oftentimes we go away on holiday and I get a bit bored, like you know, staying somewhere, and I always end up trying new things baking because you go mm. out of your normal zone. You say, oh, I've always wanted to try this. And the sourdough hot like, cross bun, or yeah, yeah. And so when you're, if you're locked down, you'd have the time of your life because you'd get busy preserving and <laughs> fermenting, right? Yeah. Oh, I did in the first lockdown. I made so many um, jars of sauerkraut, but it was the the worst cabbage. Like it was like months and months old. I got no liquid out of it. But I was like, oh my gosh, I've got no food. I'm not ready. <laughs> and then and I didn't even want to eat it because it was so gross. And like you could have you could have fed Captain Cook for the four year journey of the endeavor. <laughs> Enough, I'd feed him. But yeah, <laughs> it is reality check radio. Um, we've been talking with the wonderful, and I feel bad about this because Geraldine like Penny. This. Geraldine Penny, Penny, is that it? Penny, 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 Penny. Penny. <laughs> Geraldine Penny. Uh, you can find her uh, on Facebook. It's called the F- Kitchen <laughs> Ferment. The Ferment Kitchen. The Ferment Kitchen. And I had a quick look there and it looked wonderful. And I'm going to go back there tonight because I'm going to make a chutney um, and I'll report to you how I get on. Do it. You're very, very wonderful. You've got a wonderful passion. People can contact you through Facebook, can they? Yep, absolutely. Or through uh, my my Gmail is creatingsuperfoods at gmail.com. Okay, and you're available to a group of people that may want a seminar and be shown how to do that. You're accomplished at explaining that to people. If someone wanted to uh, fly you in and get them to teach you uh, this ancient traditional craft, um, how long do they need to spend with you? I mean, how long would a good would it would it be worthwhile? Say, I'm I'm in Christchurch and there's a group of us. And we're thinking it would be lovely to to learn this and we'll see if Geraldine can make it. How long would you need to teach them? Um, two hours is a good length of time for a workshop. And in two hours, I would typically do a sourdough session that will get you through looking after your bug and then baking no-need bread. Or two hour, in two hours, we would cover kimchi, sauerkraut and brine pickles. And another two-hour session I do is Caspian Sea yogurt, water kefir and fermented relishes. So, yeah. Oh, Actually, wonderful. I'm flying... Yeah. Sorry, you tell me. I'm flying into Whangarei with my sister in May for okay. for a series of workshops, which is pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> so you've sort of got these workshops off the shelf, though it could be a sourdough workshop and you can do the two hours. Mm. Uh, that would be amazing for a group of friends to organise. Uh, that would fun. be wonderful. Mm. And tell me, that cats, I'm trying to think of Sanchez cats. Is it? Oh, Sandor cats. Sandor Katz, he came out to New Zealand, didn't he? Maybe a few years ago, 10 years ago. I don't know. Yes, he did, because I remember um, being in Western A. Price and he came out, because I have his book, which is a wonderful book. 
He's got several, lots of books, yep. Okay, well, he just had the one when I was looking at him, but that was 10 years ago or so. And he did. He came out to New Zealand and uh, people all have gone. I think I might have met him. Mm. But uh, Yeah, I've been to an online workshop with him and I was oh, in awe. <laughs> it was like meeting Richie McCaw or something. Totally. Of, <laughs> it was a Richie McCaw of the ferment kitchen. Just swooning in the background, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know I met Sally Falloon? Oh, did you? Well, I met her. I think I met her husband. Yes, because he's a Kiwi. Yes, he came out and did a tour. That's when I think I first got into Western Price and he was traveling around. No, and he said, well, Oh, your baby looks healthy. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. No, well, if it was 10 years ago, she came out here with him. And the Western A Price put on, um, and they put on a a good function. The Western A Prize were very strong in Hamilton. Mm, they were, yeah. And, I don't know how um, they are now, but yeah. Yeah, and um, she travelled the country because he basically returned home, you know, because he was a Kiwi. And, oh, my goodness, yeah. she could give a great presentation. And oh, really? she was a great spokes lady. And um, by virtue of sort of introducing her at, uh, for the audience, I sort of went to three or four of her sessions. And she was so delightful and a great um, advocate of what she called wise traditions, mm. which is a great way of thinking about it. And it's yeah. beautiful, wholesome food. And mm -hmm. not and all of this is inexpensive. That's right. Accessible to all of us. Yes. Just yeah. takes a little bit of time and a little bit of preparation. And, once and coming back into, to trusting as well, trusting ourselves in the process, like we've yeah, got this. Yeah, yep. good on you, Geraldine. Well, um, we'll have you back. Thank you for sharing with us. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, look, I love it. I'm so excited. It's Reality Check Radio. You're a real talk with uh, Rodney Hyde, and we were talking real food. So I suppose it was real talk about real food. And what a wonderful person Geraldine Penny is. And uh, we will definitely have her back for her enthusiasm and for her excitement. And don't hesitate uh, uh, to contact her because I know she'd love it. She's so passionate. But you'll learn such a lot just on her Facebook page. And do think about getting a bunch of friends together and organizing a two-hour seminar because I made that mistake when I started baking. I wa wasted three years and probably damn near killed my kids because they had to sit there and eat these bricks of loaves that you you could have hiffed through a window. And they had to sit there and say how lovely they were. And um, they still groan uh, about it. Uh, Ten years on, they groan about dad's first loaves of bread. And I know if I'd parked my ego, my male ego at the door and walked into a seminar with Geraldine, I would have been making good bread day one because it's that easy. But if you don't know the technique, there's little wee things that you mm. need to do that you don't know about. So do think about that. She would be wonderful. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll have more world talk. Uh, thank you for being here today and what a wonderful guest I've had. So uh, stay tuned, please. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.